All right, hello and welcome to another episode of A Brother's Creed Podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan. Today we have an awesome guest. His name is Brett Pike, and he runs a, uh, a homeschooling company called Classical Learner Homeschooling. He's a father, a homeschooling supporter, and, and parent, and teacher, um, educating, education consultant, also an author of um, some, some, some uh, books called the Cubs to Bears books. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of get into some of those and, and talk about the importance of, of raising kids and how some of the best strategies to do that. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the downfalls of maybe the public schooling system and how uh, at-home learning can be extremely beneficial for, for families and for children. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Yeah, well, if public school was a person, it would think I'm Freddy Krueger. So let's get it after it. <laughs> All right. Spartans, what is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change. Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world! A decent world! So, uh, Brett, thanks so much for, for coming and joining us today. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's, I think a good place to start would just be a little bit about your background. I know recently I, I've seen on some of your videos that you've made a big change in your career, you've moved across the country. Uh, give us a little bit of background on... on uh, who you are and what brought you to where you're at today. Yeah, well, I, I really didn't care much for the schooling system growing up. I I was in the principal's office all the time. You know, my parents would get called to the office, say, Brett got in another fist fight or he's bouncing off the walls, wasn't doing this, wasn't doing that. Um, I know at one point the, the guidance counselor told my mom that uh, they wanted to put me on Ritalin and my mom said, yeah, give me the bottle so I could turn it sideways and shove it. <laughs> and I uh, really appreciate that she did that. And um, But anyway, I went through the system. You know, I uh, did what I was told to do. Right? My parents told me, well, you get your B's and then go to college. And I went to college. I didn't take that too seriously. I was into getting drunk and chasing girls. And then all of a sudden, my junior year of college came. And I was like, oh, you know, I better focus a little bit on this academic stuff. And um, I wound up taking it serious from there, and I got a bachelor's degree in history education. I went back to school. I got a master's degree in special education. I was taking it real serious at that point. I graduated with a 4.0 GPA, and I was awarded the number one student in um, the entire college um, for that major. Um, so I did that, and then I, you know, I got into the education system. I worked in the schools a little bit. I wound up working in the early intervention program. And I came across the works of some really great thinkers because I was becoming a little bit disenfranchised with what I saw. I'd be in the teacher's lounges and the way they'd speak about the students and just the entire system as a whole. And um, I came across Richard Grove and his Peace Revolution, um, which everyone should give a listen to at one point in is their life. A, is that a book or what, what is that? Uh, Richard Grove runs a podcast okay. um, called The Peace Revolution. And if you go back and you listen from episode one um, all the way to episode 150, it will radically shape your worldview. 
Um, and then through Richard Grove, I came across great educators uh, like John Taylor Gatto, who was the New York City Teacher of the Year in 1988, 1989, 1990, before he abruptly resigned. And he took out a one-page ad explaining that the public schooling system was not failing. And when people said it's failing at science and failing at math, well, yeah, it sucks at those things. But what he pointed out is that it was really good at doing what it was meant to do, which is to create an obedient population unable to question authority who knows their place. And I came across Gatto and um, Dorothy Sayers and many of these great thinkers, and I decided to go my own way. I started the Classical Learner Homeschooling Company, and I was doing consultations for a while, and now I've built up um, my own private community, and we're making original curriculum, and we're doing a lot of good things. Um, so I guess, you know, in terms of my journey, that's that's how I got here. Excellent. Uh, that's awesome. It's, have you, did you recently, I was watching one of your TikToks videos. It sounded like you, you moved and uh, kind of started like a little bit of a homestead. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I know you guys are big into your creed and, um, who we are as men. And a few years ago, I was fortunate enough to find God. And, um, I found that, you know, when I originally woke up to the world, I was like everyone else. And I wanted to kick and scream and say, do you see what's going on? Look, Hillary Clinton and the sewers and, um, <laughs> I was doing an investigative uh, journalist report and I actually, I tied, I showed all the connections. I had all the mainstream documents, the Sandusky. Uh, most people think Jerry Sandusky. He was the um, defensive coordinator at Penn state university turned out to be a serial monster. Oh yeah. And uh, most people think that was an isolated incident because the news media is so corrupt. But if you actually look into it and you speak with the victims, he was part of a network. Um, and the network involves some of the most powerful people in the United States of America. We don't have to get too into it, but, um, you know, basically they were trafficking boys out of the Philadelphia um, Boys and Girls Club. Hmm. And um, there were billionaires involved. And um, it tied right back to Hillary Clinton and everything that was going on in Haiti. And I was sitting there and I was making this video. I was putting it together. And I remember thinking that I had looked into the eyes of the devil and right then I knew that God was real and I felt the warmest feeling come over my body. And from there, um, that really had a profound impact on my life. And I became very biblical. And one of the worst sins in the Bible is usury, right? Well, you fast forward a few years and you see what they're doing with the world and they're controlling people through our sin. They're controlling us through financial leverage. They're controlling us through convenience. So when the, when your employer comes along and says, you have to get this, done. Otherwise, yep. you know, you can't make that money. You can't pay your mortgage. Well, now you're in trouble. So I attempt to live by a creed. So I sold my house. Uh, I had, I was successful. I had the nice big cushy house in Long Island, one of the most expensive places in the country to live. And I said enough of all this. And I sold my house and I moved my family across the country. And um, we started a homestead and we're growing our own food. I run my business. I I'm surround myself with like-minded people. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Um, I put my my wife, I put God first, I lead my wife, I raise my children. And um, when you start to do these things, you realize that the system doesn't have any power over you. They only have the power that we give them. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I, that's that's admirable. First off, I mean, getting getting out of the out of the, the I guess the dependency of the system is it's huge. I mean, just to be able to even go to sleep at night and, and, and 
know that you have the ability to control what your your life is is pretty pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, business ownership, you know, it's uh, it has its pros and cons. <laughs> I probably work about fifteen hours a day, but yeah. I do it on my terms, and I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I don't really work, you know, a yeah, minute yeah. in my life. So, if you don't mind me asking, where did you move to? Uh, so we are in the Carolinas, and it is a breath of fresh air. We are also in the Carolinas, yeah. So okay. We also right. love the Not Carolinas. I'm technically in South Carolina, uh, but uh, absolutely love it. We, Ethan and I both grew up here, and uh, it's a great place. Love the beaches. I lived in Salt Lake City for a while and out west, and we just wanted to get back to the beaches. <laughs> hey, I mean, I like the beaches, but I just want chickens. I want chickens <laughs> and goats and... Um, to not be dependent on the system at all, because that's where our power is. And people, they'll look at politicians and they'll say, solve my problem. But by the very nature of asking them, you've surrendered your power to them. Yeah. Right. And the people that pay them, that's what they want you to do, but they don't want you out of debt. They don't want you growing your own food. They don't want you being a husband. They don't want you being a wife, raising good children, homeschooling your children, starting a business, hiring like-minded friends loving your neighbor, taking care of your neighbor. So when you have those chickens, you give them free eggs and you take care of each other because when people do that and they're not isolated and six feet apart and they haven't seen their grandmother in a year, when people do that, they take all their power back. Yeah. Yeah. Gets you much back. It gets you much closer to the earth and closer to, you know, just that a little bit, not necessarily primal living, but a little bit just closer to nature itself. And I mean, like you have, you know, nowadays, a lot of people go to the grocery store and they're like, oh, I only, you know, I don't kill cows. I just buy meat at the grocery store. And it's like, what? You know, or like they think hunting is barbaric, but then they go and buy food from the grocery store. And it's like, come on, you know, uh, it's kind of ridiculous, but that's kind of the society we live in in some sense. But I think you're a much better uh, state uh, than New York. I don't think I would. I've been to New York on business several times and I would never want to live there. Um, and if I did live there now, I probably couldn't do very much anyway, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I love the example you give with the meat because that's, it's a great example of people outsourcing their horror and being completely detached from re- reality. And that's how you get these narratives pushed in society where um, people are obsessed with 35 genders and all the nonsense they focus on because they're so detached from reality. They don't know where their food comes from. They don't understand the supply chains. And they take very little personal responsibility in their life. So it's, um, in fact, most people operate on autopilot where, you know, I'm going to do what I'm told. I'm going to go work for a corporation. I'm going to push paper from, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And before you know it, you die. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan, tell about the story about with uh, you were in scouts and you guys slaughtered. <laughs> what did you guys slaughter? Oh, yeah. So, so Jared and I both, we both, uh, were raised in the in the the scouting program, the Boy Scouts of America, and um, we had a, a, a youth activity once at our, at our church, and it was just for the for the the young men that were about you know I'd say maybe fifteen to eighteen years old, and we had a uh, uh, we had caught a our leader had caught a possum in his backyard, and so the 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 activity that we had for that night was he had caught it like earlier that morning. And so he dispatched it, right? He, he, he killed the possum after he caught it and he was, he brought it to the activity and uh, he said, okay, tonight we're going to, we're going to skin out and we're going to cook up this possum and make some stew. (laughs) And so it just so happened that that night it was, uh, 
it was raining pretty bad. And so we didn't want to do it outside. And so at the, at the church facility that we were at, there was a kitchen and um, we, we ended up rigging up a system with a, 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 um, a broom hanging over the, the tied up behind the refrigerator to hang the possum so that we could gut it and clean it out and everything. And um, it was just, it was a good time. While we were doing this, there's probably 10 boys there and the leaked couple leaders. And we were walking through it step by step and just learning the anatomy and the different meats and different things. And in comes um, a bunch of uh, like little, uh, there's like a little girl's, not really a troop, but a little girl's uh, activity that they were having there. And everybody started freaking out and everybody was ever that they, we got in trouble because we were skinning a possum in the kitchen <laughs> and everything else. But it, it, I, I will remember that experience forever. And, you know, I wouldn't say that possum is the, the tastiest meat in the world, but uh, we did it and I could survive if I needed to. And so yeah. it's just skills like that that uh, kind of go along with just that self-reliance, I guess, is important. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that, that's a better way to learn. And I like how you point out that you are developing skills, because if you look at what's happening within the public school system where children are in this regimented cycle of you do math, you do science, you do history. But what they're not learning is construction. What they're not learning is engineering. What they're not learning is computer coding. And for the trolls, yes, I understand they might not, they might take a class, but that's not knowing it. They're not learning photography and videography and art and music and how to really create and build things with their hands. Because a person that has skills is capable of doing things in the world. But when you look at the average person who comes through the system, they feel like they can't do anything other than what they've been trained to do, which is usually pushing paperwork, which is why so many people are afraid to take a leap because they don't feel like they're capable of doing things in the world. But someone who is capable of fixing a toilet, someone who is capable of building things around the house will always be able to market themselves as a handyman. They'll always be able to get work. And that's what's been taken from the general population. Yeah. How does, so, I mean, those are some of the downfalls of, of maybe the public schooling system, how does or how have you seen that homeschooling has the potential of remedying some of those issues? Oh, well, I mean, that's what homeschool is great for. Because homeschoolers have the flexibility to drop what they're doing and follow the interests of their children. For example, the other day I was homeschooling with my son and he had to go to the bathroom and in the middle of him doing what he had to do, he asked me how the toilet bowl worked. And we dropped the lesson we were working on and it became a teachable moment. It became a new lesson because he wanted to know about how a toilet bowl works. And we took the entire thing apart. We took the back of the toilet off. Um, we took the pieces out. I showed him how everything worked. Um, we took a screwdriver. We took the lid off. I showed him how to um, cut the water off so that no water would come to the toilet, right? And he's three years old and he's learning these things. I've worked with a five-year-old that was actually making benches. Right. His dad was a carpenter and he was always very interested in what his dad did. So I told the family, you don't fight that. You let him learn because he wants to do it. He's naturally motivated. And this five year old was making benches to the point where he donated a bench to the local church um, that they go to and put up a flyer saying, you know, if you want a bench made for you, you could call the mother and this five year old. And then you get business experience. You have a service, a product, marketing, sales. You can start to teach financial literacy. I mean, you can do this with anything your child is interested in 
And what I always say is you follow the interest of your child, you use the interest of your child to develop real world skills with real world application, and then you use those skills to get them entrepreneurial experience. And for the members of my homeschool community, we call it the rule of six, in that a semester we'll call is about six months. So every six months of your child's life, from the time they are five years old up until the time they are 18, they should have something entrepreneurial embedded into what they're doing. And then when you take that 18 year old who has grown up focusing on the process of learning and critical thinking, focusing on real world skill development with a ton of entrepreneurial experience, what will that person be able to do when they're 18, when all their same age peers can do is sign on a dotted line to take out $100,000 of unforgivable debt? Yeah, I like that. And I've been trying to do that with my with my kids. Uh, my oldest is about seven, and he's got a lot of interest. He's, he's a really, really smart with math. He's actually um, really likes coding, and so we've had him in some uh, a Coda Kid class online where he's been learning scratch coding, and he's actually dabbled in um, uh, Java a little bit. Uh, but he really likes doing it, and he also likes really likes origami and doing paper craft type stuff. And he's been so. One of the questions I have for you is he's he's like, oh, dad, I want to make a YouTube channel. I want to make YouTube videos and 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 post them. And I, I've been kind of hesitant to allow that because. I don't know. There's a lot of creeps out there and he's just real young and I don't know how he would handle someone, you know, with negative comments or uh, I don't know, like putting yourself out into the world uh, is maybe a little bit scary, especially for a little, uh, you know, my little kid. And so what would what would be your thoughts on on that? Uh, I feel like it's kind of it would be kind of entrepreneurial, but I don't know there are dangers of, of putting your kid out there. What do you think? Well, I mean, in terms of exposure to the world, that's really has to do with what you're personally comfortable with. If my boy wanted to do that, I would let him do it. But I feel comfortable in that I would be able to rein it in. I mean, I'm sure you would too, but obviously there's still just, there's natural worries. But when I hear that your son wants to do YouTube videos, what I really hear is that he is motivated by producing content. So what I'd like to see him do is um, take, a take a class on videography. What I'd like to see him do is take a class on digital music production. What I'd like to see him do is take, there's a really cool class designed for nine-year-olds. I don't know if he could pull it off right now. He's seven possibly, um, but actually teaches young children to do um, Pixar style cartoon animations. Right. I would want him to take a class in public speaking, because if you're going to put yourself out there and make YouTube videos, you have to know how to communicate what you want to the people that are listening. Yeah. It's not about the YouTube videos. It's about following his interest, video production and using that to teach him ancillary skills, mm -hmm. videography, art, music, um, you know, yeah. digital illustration, any of those type of skills, public speaking that he could carry with him throughout the course of his lifetime. And then I love that you brought up the entrepreneurial thing because whichever direction you go um, with him in terms of whatever you let him do, um, you can then just start guiding him and show him, showing him basic entrepreneurial things he can do. And whether that's something as simple as um, designing a t-shirt or something more complex, it doesn't matter. You're developing that mindset in him. You're letting him have some success and um, you're just following what he wants to do to, to educate him. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Uh, those are some great ideas.
I love that teaching skills along the way. You say, hey, you want to do this? Well, let's let's see what skills you need to do that, you know, and, and then kind of uh, helping direct him to do those skills so that he can achieve the end goal that he wants. Uh, very, yeah. you, you should be doing a ton of videography with him right now. Um, everything you can to learn him, you know, but not just like basic stuff. Get him into video editing and um, how to really make things look good. Teach him, have him take a course on photography where he learns about um, lighting and aperture and shadows and all that different stuff um, because all of this stuff goes into video production. And that's the type of skill set where, I mean, the world has changed right now where if you're really good at making 30 second videos, there are corporations that will pay you six figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's uh, this, uh, one, one of the, the, I guess the sharks or whatever, the Kevin O'Leary, he's a big investor, whatever on Mr. That, Wonderful. that shark tank show. Yeah. Mr. Wonderful. So, he, he said, um, especially through this pandemic stuff, he said, uh, previously, I would hire people and I want someone who's, you know, experienced and with a, you know, a, a very educated and someone who's going to be extremely dependable and reliable sitting in their desk all day working for me. And he said the past five years has completely changed. He said, I want to hire someone that Oh, he said, I want to hire creators. I want to hire people that have ideas. I want to hire people that can create a 30 second video on a product and be able to blast that to millions of people. And it was, he was like, that is where the worth is right now. And, and he only saw that growing in the future, I guess. You, you talk about short form video, which your seven year old is interested in right now. You have the platform TikTok, which is now, I believe the largest of all the major social media platforms. And it has been growing rapidly to the point in which all of the other social media companies have taken notice it's why instagram went to reels it's why youtube which is a long form video implemented shorts it's why pinterest has their own version of short form video TikTok has changed the game short form video is the most powerful form of advertising right because you're essentially um, whether people realize it or not have created an application in which people will sit there all day and watch commercials And when you have all of these multi-billion dollar corporations and um, eyeballs is the the number one currency to them, and you have this platform, all these platforms now expanding and growing in which you have just these people sitting there and watching these commercials. Well, if you have that creative person, right, he can make you a lot of money. Um, And that gets into the theory of access. So now let's say your seven-year-old has been doing this seven, eight, nine, ten, right? I mean, if he starts doing it, just because the very nature of it, he'll still be making videos when he's 17 on stuff that's completely different than he's interested in now. But this is the theory of access because typically where you'd say, oh, well, you have to go to school to be a videographer and you have to um, you know, send in your resume and wait in line. Well, if he wanted to work for a corporation, he now has a better resume than anyone could ever imagine because if he's been producing these videos for all these years and he has shown time and time again that his video production could get a hundred thousand views, 200,000 views. Well, who are you going to hire? Yeah. Someone with a track record. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that real world experience. I feel like we're kind of going away from that. I mean, you listen to like Elon Musk and, and others and, and like really progressive thinkers. And they're like, it's not about your resume. It's not about what school you went to or what, you know, prestigious university you got a master's from. It's about what you can do. Even high school st- students can do stuff, and so they want to hire people who can think, uh, and 
you know, and have the skill sets. And you don't always have to have an education to do that or formal education, I should say. One of the families I'm working with had a 15 year old boy who is interested in becoming a, a real estate investor. So we had him start studying construction, engineering, architecture, interior design, art, photography, and videography. And it helped in this case that his mom was actually a professional photographer. So the assignment we gave him was to sit down with his mom for two to three months and become very proficient at photography to research the 10 most prevalent real estate brokers in the area that he lives, put together presentations, show up at each one of their doors and present to them why they should hire him to do their real estate photography first at a cost. And then if they say no, then to offer to do it for free. Now it doesn't really matter if he gets hired or not. What matters is the experience and what matters is the connection he makes. Cause we're talking about the theory of access. So we then had him read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich, The Four Hour Work Week. And when he turns 17 years old, he is going to take the state required courses to become a real estate agent on his 18th birthday, because he could do it before his 18th birthday. On his 18th birthday, he'll take the state test to become a real estate agent. He'll become an agent on his 18th birthday, and then he'll knock on their doors again, those same brokers. And they'll remember that very ambitious, very impressive 15 year old boy. And what they'll see is someone who's hungry and someone who will make them a lot of money. So they're going to hire him when he's 18. He'll have the training to identify real estate um, from the real estate courses that he takes. And uh, we also talked about um, establishing his credit and using uh, UTMA accounts, um, which is a type of investment account for children to get money for a down payment. He should have his first fourplex or if he wants to flip a house just a house to flip um, before the age of 21. Um, this is the theory of access right because the real estate brokers they'll be impressed with him he's not waiting online they'll be eager to hire him that's when you run a business that's what you want that's impressive yeah so we, you don't have to wait in line and you don't have to go the route everyone else does and if you follow your dreams and follow your interests, there's no limit to the things we can do especially in this modern world with, with all this tech What's the uh, UPMA? You mentioned like an UPMA or is it like a, a child a child, child's investment fund? Can you talk about that a little bit more? I'm curious. Oh, about I that. just changed your child's life. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like a, uh, you know what a Roth IRA is? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a I do a lot of investing myself and but I've never heard of it for kids or any... Well, an UPMA essentially in simple terms, you know, not for us to get too technical with it, but an UPMA basically operates the same way a Roth IRA does. Um for your retirement, but you're starting your child on it and they can't touch it till they're 21. Okay. Hmm. Right. So what I do is every birthday and every Christmas, I invest into my child's UTMA account. People think that only the wealthy could have trust accounts. That's nonsense. That's because we are conditioned into a um, peasant indentured servant like mentality. Everyone's children should have, um, it's not technically the right term, but trust accounts. And an UTMA account is an account where you put that money in and it will grow compound interest for, you know, if you start when they're one years old for 21 years, right? So you can hand your child a very large chunk of change. Um, it's something that everyone should do. And in this case, with this 15 year old boy, it was a strategy that we could use so that he would have a nice down payment, yeah. right? Because you really only need 10%, um, maybe even five, a nice down payment 
for whatever real estate he wants to invest in. Yeah. Very cool. That's cool. I loved the, I loved the progression. It's almost like it, it, there's a setup, right? You have the, the plan in place. Okay. This is where you want to be in five years. Well, plant the seed now, like you talked about, you know, talk, talking with the investors to at least get them to look at you and so that they'll recognize you. And then, you know, as you continue to progress and grow, whatever, then you come back, you say, Hey, I'm even more hungry than I was at 15, three years ago. And here I'm back. And I want to, I want to work with you again. And the, I mean, that to, to someone, I think that drive, that willingness to learn and to work hard is, is huge. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it's all about. It's um, as a I was gonna ask a question as as a parent, what what are maybe some strategies to build confidence in your kids? You know, it's interesting because I have four kids and and I see the differences between my kids, um, and it's interesting because some of them are maybe more outgoing and more confident, and then others are just kind of a little bit more reserved in their maybe like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that or whatever it may be. What are maybe some strategies that you have learned in working with, with homeschoolers and, and, and your consulting to build confidence in kids? Well, for one, you want to remind them of what they used to suck at and what they're really good at now, <laughs> right? So one of the things I talk to my son about a lot is um, I remember when you couldn't fly kites and now you're really good at flying kites. I remember when um, you couldn't trace between the lines. And now look at you, you do beautiful lines, right? We talk about um, those things a lot. But if you have a child who maybe struggles with um, that type of confidence or that type of self-esteem, for lack of a better term, then you just want to um, make little wins into the big mountains, right? So you just want to point that out, make sure they get a lot of little wins that um, we're all getting better and you should only judge yourself against what you were able to do the day before. Right. That's um, one of my favorite sporting figures before I started boycotting sports is Bill Belichick. And people see all the success he has with the Patriots. Right. And um, they always ask him every year, what are oh, the Patriots going to be in the Super Bowl this year? And, and he always says that, Oh, well, we're just trying to have a good practice. You know, we're just trying to have a good session. Well, if you really study what he talks about, he refers to, are we getting better? Are we going to be a little bit better at the end of the day than we were at the beginning of the day? Because he understands that over time, if you keep getting a little bit better, then you're going to get a lot better. So you want to make little, 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 little successes into big successes, remind them of how successful they've been. And then make sure your children have success. So let's say they set up, let's do something simple. Um, let's say they set up, um, I recently worked with a seven-year-old girl who um, create, made bracelets and she set up a little table and she was selling the bracelets. Well, uh, and her mom, they did marketing. She created a video. She sent it out to neighbors, family, and friends. Well, what I would just do on the side is the mom is I would make some phone calls or the dad makes some phone calls and I would make sure that people show up and are going to buy the bracelets, even if I had to give them the money to buy the damn bracelets. Okay. So um, <laughs> anything you can do with that, but you want to make sure your children have success and um, you got to know your child. Like some children you could really let fail and they'll, that'll inspire them. And some children that will break them. You got to make sure that whatever they're doing, they have success and you make it into a, a parade. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I've recently been reading a book uh, called wild at heart. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. Uh, it's a great book. It, it talks about, you know, masculinity. It talks about 
fatherhood. Uh, and one of the things he talks about in there, which I like, he says, every boy needs two things. One is uh, he needs, he, he longs for his father's love. Uh, and so we as fathers need to express that love. And then two, um, he searched for validation from his father. And so one of the things he, he says that you can do is uh, express to our our, our young men, uh, he's specifically talking about sons, but I think you know daughters also, is to express that you are enough and you have what it takes. And you do that through creating uh, validating experiences, just like what you talked about is like, you know, having someone come and purchase your bracelets. That's a, that's a small validating experience. And as you create those, that's how they're going to build their confidence uh, and say, oh, you, know, you can ride a bike really good. You know, two months ago, you couldn't ride a bike very good, but now you're great at riding a bike. You rode all the way to your friend's house. And so uh, that is really important. It's actually something I wrote in my journal that uh, I, I try to you know, keep in my mind every day. Yeah, I mean, as a father, I try to be, I mean, I, it's just my nature. I'm relentlessly positive with my children. Every day I tell them how great they are. I'm probably too positive with them, but um, <laughs> I don't mind that. That's, um, I think children need to know that they have love and they have support. And then, you know, in terms of raising men, uh, for instance, you know, my boy knows, I tell him that he's a man in training, that it's daddy's responsibility to take care of this family. It's daddy's responsibility to provide. It's daddy's responsibility um, to take care of him and mommy and Aubrey and make sure they're safe. And another thing we talk about is what if daddy couldn't be here? Whose responsibility is it? And without hesitation, he says it's mine. And he actually takes it very seriously. And he's three years old and he's extremely protective over his baby sister because he knows that's his job. Um, some of the things I've done is from the time he was little, I never babied him when he fell. Um, whenever he fells, I tell him, you took that like a man. And um, I say, I say, Brady gets knocked down, but he always gets back up, right? So we, yeah. all these mantras that we do, um, I started him in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu um, when he was three years old. And I started him with the understanding that in life there are um, predators in life, there are bad people that will try to hurt us. And it's very important that he as a boy and becoming a man knows how to protect himself and knows how to protect his family. So I don't think it's bad to let your boy know that you're training him to be a man. I think it's important. And the thing is that um, when you're a good parent, they look up to you. So it's not something that I have to fight my son with. It's something that he wants to be. Do you go with him to do uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to every class I had him. I moved in July. Okay. Um, so we were doing um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu from, I guess for six or seven months. And then um, we moved across the country and uh, we haven't started up yet. He, um, I spoke with him actually this week and he said he's ready to start back up. So that's something we um, are going to do as long as, as well as we're going to join a soccer team soon. Awesome. Yeah. Ethan and I have a buddy who, uh, does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and actually we had him on the ep we had him on. He, he talked about his experiences, and I think Ethan, you told me that you were going to start this year. Have you uh, signed up for your? I uh, am. No, game? I haven't. I haven't yet. But uh, well, we're already just get, thirteen days into the year, bud. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was just getting over a little operation, but uh, now it should be good to go. <laughs> He's got this pain here, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just wanted to see uh, Ethan. Uh, do that. Uh, I've uh, got one close to my house too. I think I might go check it out. It's a lot of guys are doing it, and sometimes I just feel like going and wrestling it out with, uh, you know, some other guy too. Sometimes, so 
Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it's, it's interesting. One thing that I've, I've kind of noticed is, it, and, and this can, this can be applied to many different things, but I think just uh, extreme physical exertion, whether it's, you know, wrestle, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or even if it's just uh, getting tired working in the yard really hard, or, you know, my, my seven-year-old, he, he'll help me mow the lawn and I'll say, okay, well you push the lawnmower all the way up the hill and, you know, I'll walk beside you or whatever. And, and, and whenever he gets to the top of the hill, he's like, oh, I'm so tired. It's like, that's good. You know, it's that mm-hmm. physical exertion and that that power it takes to to do something. I mean, I, th- I think that was one of those things that kind of build that confidence to to know that uh, you can do hard things. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to chat with you about, and this is a kind of a major thing, that accomplishment of yours is is, is your books. Uh, can you talk to us about the, your book series and and tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so I am the author of the Cubs to Bears children book series. And they are books not only designed to teach children their rights, but to show them the mechanisms of manipulation that institutions use to get people to surrender their rights. So um, the books I've written are free speech, social media censorship, and the First Amendment, the right to bear arms, Operation Mockingbird and the Church Committee, which um, is living history about the congressionally documented history of um, fake news. The Bear from Jekyll Island, which is, again, same thing, but with the formation of the Federal Reserve Bank and how the financial system works, um, among a few other books. But an example of it would be that in Operation Mockingbird and the Church Committee, which is designed to, um, one, teach the congressionally documented history of fake news, the congressionally documented history of fake news, the congressionally documented history of fake news. I like to repeat that a lot of times because, you know, when you get all these people, they're like, well, what do you mean fake news? The congressionally documented history of this connection between the CIA paying out billions of dollars adjusted for inflation and money um, to news reporters to report lies and fabrications to the public. Mm -hmm. Um, So living history to teach about fake news um, and in the book, the early in the book, the news roosters, who are the news reporters in my universe, um, report of a bike thief and he's stealing a bike and they show this up close picture in a dark alley with a bear pushing his bike. And then later in the book, after our readers get red buried because they're children, so I can't red pill them. But after they get red buried, um, <laughs> they, they're able to see the, um, the wide lens view of that same moment in time. And when you see that, you can see that he wasn't stealing a bike. He was actually walking his bicycle into a bicycle repair shop. And it's showing children how that partial truth, that partial picture can be used to create a fictitious narrative. Um, in, I actually, um, I teach a foundations of propaganda class for elementary school and middle school level students um, for members of my private homeschool community. And this morning, the um, topic of the class was um, how social shame and partial um, truths are used to manipulate people. So I read the children the right to bear arms and I put on a pretty theatric performance, I might say. Um, so, um, but in the, within that, the children um, see a picture in the book and in the picture, there's a, a bunny rabbit that's attacked and the bunny rabbit has um claw marks and there's paw prints on the floor and then right after the bunny rabbits attacked 
Um, the news roosters come in and say the bears, the bears are responsible for this attack. And like, and I added to the book. So I said, and only three to five minutes after the rabbit was attacked, the news roosters and 17 other authoritative agencies have confirmed that it is probable, most likely the case, very good chance that the attack was definitely done by the bears. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, after we go through the whole thing, I talked about um, that report with the students. And then I pull up the picture and I say, okay, well, what evidence do we see? Like, let's ignore what the news rooster said. What can you tell me about this picture? And the students are looking at it and, and they eventually they point out, oh, there's paw prints. I said, oh, there's paw prints. Now that's evidence. So then I pulled up a chart of the paw prints of all different animals, including bears. So I said, all right, all right. So let's look at the bear print. How many fingers or toes, I don't know what they're called, does a bear have? And they counted them out. One, two, three, four, five. Well, how many um, toes are in the paw prints in our crime scene? One, two, three, four. Hmm. And the children are like, wait a second. I don't know if it was the bears. And then we look at the paw prints of other animals and they found out that the paw print looks very much like a cat print. And in our book, in our universe that I created, well, our primary villain is Charisma Cat. So you're teaching children the mechanisms of manipulation, teaching them critical thinking to think for themselves, um, rather than just saying, hey, we have this right to bear arms or, hey, we have the right to free speech. It's um, in the free speech book, um, Stand Up Bear, um, he has a big personality and he points out that the Saving Puppy Center wasn't actually saving puppies. He points out that the um, Saving Puppy Center was allowing coyotes to adopt puppies and kittens and piglets. Um, so he goes, he does his stand-up comedy and he said, how could animals be such dupes? Coyotes just want piglet soups. <laughs> and the next day he's accused of a thought crime and he's not allowed to do stand-up comedy, but he's not deterred. So he um, calls on the blue mountain birds. And he says, carry my message as far as you reach, carry my message with tweets, tweets, tweets. Well, the news roosters get a hold of this and they come out the next day and they accuse him of being anti-bird. He's anti-bird. Um, no longer is he allowed to send such insensitive tweets. And he's accused of um, um, hate speech. And they said that coyotes are a protected group. Right. And throughout this book, he's ultimately banned from Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. But it's mirroring what actually happens in the world with how people are silenced so that you can't hear their ideas. And that's the idea behind the Cubs, the Bears children's book series. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. First off, it sounds like there's a ton of thought that went into these. And I think these are such. I don't want to say controversial because they're really not. There are there are areas that kids need to learn about young so that they can help to identify like that's not right or because they're they're very kids are very impressionable impressionable however that word is and they go to school and you know if the if they do go to public school which i think majority of people kids do then you have some person that i've never met before teaching my first grader Practically, I mean, maybe his opinions mingled with learning and everything else. And so to be able to teach kids how to identify that that doesn't seem right or that's that maybe that's your opinion, but that's not how it is. Um, is something that I'm trying to do with that. But th that that sounds really cool. 
all, all those books. Yeah, well, I mean, the books are just designed to mirror reality. So, you know, I don't tell them, I don't even mention in the books that free speech is bad or free speech is good. Like in the free, uh, in the free speech book, I had the language I used had to be controversial to a child because it's the area of free speech. That's what it is. So one of the things that, um, so stand up bears calling out the saving puppy center, which there's a lesson in that because they're not saving puppies. They're feeding them to hungry coyotes. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Planned Parenthood. You're not planning your parent. You're, you're killing your children. Yeah. Right. So that type of thing. So he's <laughs> yeah. calling out the, the saving puppy center and throughout the book, you know, he kind of uses some incendiary language. He calls charisma cat fat. Right. So, I mean, the parents, you can have a conversation like, you know, is it appropriate that he called charisma cat fat? Should he be allowed to call charisma cat fat? You know, I have my opinion on that, but I don't say it in the book, but what I do do, is mirror what happens um, in the real world because no one can deny that people who have ideas that go against these institutions are accused of being anti this or anti that or anti bird or they're labeled an ism, right? And it's not ever addressing their arguments or what they're saying. They're just labeling people with terms and using that to silence them. So the lesson is that just because someone is labeled with a term doesn't mean you shouldn't hear what they're saying because that term they've been labeled with might actually just be a form of propaganda, might just be a weapon that is utilized against them. Now, they might be what they're accused of being. They might be terrible. But the only way you know that is by hearing what they have to say. Yeah, I like that. You know, I've, I've tried to teach uh, my oldest son just a little bit about He's asked questions about coronavirus and, and the news, and yeah, he's he's starting to understand a little bit more about like politics, like this last election cycle. He doesn't understand a little bit more, and his friends were voting for somebody different than than we talk about in our home. And so he's asking questions, and I, you know, I'm like, hey, well, what do you think about this? Or you know, I was talking to last night. I was like, do you think people would watch, would watch the news if, uh, uh, first of all, how does the news make 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 their money? Well, they make their money from uh, selling advertisements. Okay, well, would people watch the news if there was nothing, if everything was fine? Well, no. You know, so well, they have to create problems, and they also will blast out problems. The biggest problems for people who pay them the most. Uh, and so it's like if you, the news, if you know these big companies are paying the news uh, to 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 say stuff, wouldn't they say stuff that's going to make you go buy something from that company? And so uh, you know, just having these conversations, I think, is important to just yeah. get a the wheels turning. A a B ABC News brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another yeah, wave I mean, of coronavirus comes again at us. Only way yeah. to stop is uh, our sponsor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, and the only treatment for it, it just happens to be what makes our sponsor money. Anything else, yeah. any other potential treatment, no, that's just, that's bad. That's pseudoscience. Yeah, it can't be like brought to you by Healthy Living or... Yeah, like if, we're, if, we're, if you're on Instagram or you're on whatever and you're like, oh, this is a like a, an influencer is doing a sponsored post. You're like, oh... That's a sponsored post. Obviously, it's tainted. Uh, you know, scroll to the next thing. But when it's on the news, everybody's like, "Oh, this is this is uh, credible news." You know, we have to listen to this. It's like it's something there's some kind of disconnect there where people don't realize it's literally sponsored news. One of the things we're doing within my private homeschooling community, which is really just a private education community, because there are families in my community that don't they send their children to school, but they're still working with us. Um, but one of the things we're doing this year is a unit study 
on the media industrial complex, the medical industrial complex, and the military industrial complex. So when we study the medical industrial complex, it's one thing to tell children that, you know, this is a lie or whatever it might be. It's another thing to really um, teach them how to identify the levers of control. So one of the things our students are doing this year is they will be um, tracking the lobbying money um, through opensecrets.org. And when you track the lobbying money and they can go back and they will go back um, 10, 20 years, they will see that the pharmaceutical industry is the number one by far um, financial donor or lobbyist to the political class. So you have them track these financial connections. Then you have them track the actual people. Okay, who have been, um, who are the heads of the CDC? Who are the heads of the FDA? All right, do they have any connections to Pfizer or these pharmaceutical companies? Oh, so there's this thing called the revolving door, right? Where um, these heads of the CDC are, um, stepping down and then right after they step down, they're being given $20 million a year by Pfizer, right? Well, oh, okay. So now I, I could see why um, the narrative is being molded the way it is because people have interest, right? And if the education system was the way it's supposed to be, it would teach children about these interests. It would teach children about the military industrial complex, the medical industrial complex, the media industrial complex, how to identify institutional manipulation. But of course they don't do that because the public school system is probably the controllers, the people who attempt to control us, most powerful, most powerful form of institutional manipulation. Yeah. That's why, that's why politicians that are making $150,000 a year are worth $50 million. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Nancy. Yeah, Nancy Catlosi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the trader of the year. She's uh Yeah, trader of the year, yeah. Her portfolio is just outstanding, you know. <laughs> She's uh, just really smart. Yeah. She's exactly. really smart. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna ask you, so you said you do classes in your homeschooling program uh for you know students that maybe are going to, to to a different school. Do you do these classes during the day? Are these recorded conversations that students can watch after the fact, or how does that how does your program work? Yeah, so Classical, um, my company is Classical Learner and my homeschool community is called Homeschools Connected. You can find it at www.classicallearner.com. Every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. I teach a Foundations of Propaganda class for elementary school and middle school level learners. Now, we record those classes, so anyone who joins late or can't watch them live um, can go back and watch all the replays of the classes on propaganda. Um, on top of that, we're working on a year-long nature-based unit study in which children are being learned um, to track the stars, to track the sun, uh, to create maps about geography, reading, writing. They're working on skill development. One of the skills we're focusing on early in the year is photography. Later in the year, they'll be doing construction and making their own garden boxes. Um, and then by the end of the year, they're going to get their first entrepreneurial experience and then on top of that, we're doing our year-long unit study on what I mentioned on the media industrial complex, the medical industrial complex, the military industrial complex. And we do a lot of work with primary documents. So um, actually our first social studies assignment of the year was for the children to read the autobiography of Ben Franklin and George Washington's Rules for Civility and Decency. And in those two books, 
Um, ben Franklin talks about how when he was 20 years old, he created a creed. He created his own code of conduct, mm -hmm. 13 rules that um, he followed throughout the course of his lifetime. George Washington, similarly, when he was a teenager, created a code of conduct, um, over 100 rules he had of how a gentleman should conduct himself. So our students are reading these primary writings, and then their assignment is to do a project in which they think critically and they formulate their own code of conduct. And we actually have the students in our program redo this assignment at the start of every year, just like you would a New Year's resolution. Yeah. Well, at the start of every year, we think about our virtue. We think about what it means to be a good person, how you should carry yourself. And the best part about learning like this is whereas in public school, children are told Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, and now you know history. No, you don't know anything. You've memorized something you've been told. Or, you know, this happened on this date in the Civil War. You don't know what happened. You just memorized something. But when you learn history through the reading of primary documents, you are able to formulate your own unique understanding of what actually happened. You're able to sharpen your critical thinking faculties. It goes into the same way we teach science. We don't just have children um, sit in a textbook and memorize this scientific theory, which is taught to children a scientific fact. Children learn science through hands-on experiments and acting in, or, or actively engaging or having an intimate relationship with the scientific method. Because if you understand the scientific method, you're able to think critically and you can question someone who, I don't know, is wearing a lab coat and telling you nonsense. When children learn English and writing in our unit study, um, they don't do what happens in public school. Because you think about what happens in public school when they learn English, you basically get an assignment, you hand it in, and they're given a letter grade, A, B, C. Well, you left out the most important part of becoming a writer. The most, by the way, I'm an Amazon number one bestseller, I might add. Nice, <laughs> yes. Shameless appeal to authority. Um, <laughs> but the most important aspect in growing as a writer is the editing process because that's where you see what you did wrong that's where you think critically about how you could have done things differently well our students they actually are responsible for not grading but editing their own work you call it what you want and you sit through you sit down with your students you do this with your children from the time they're little and you go over their writing and you say hey you know i like what you did here um, because this is a topic sentence i know what you're talking about and um, look this sentence ran on a little bit so you know maybe we could have broken it up with a comma here, or you could have done a period and made two sentences, or maybe some people like to use semicolons. Um, and I like this. This is what you put here because this is a thesis. And this tells me what you're going to be talking about during the body of your writing, right? And then you can go back through the body and say, hey, you know, I, let's take these bullet points. I like how all your bullet points were right in line with the thesis. You told me that this is what you were going to be writing about. And then bang, 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 you wrote about exactly what you told me, right? And by doing this, you are having your children think critically about what it is to write, what grammar is, right? They're thinking critically about science, critically about English, critically about history. Well, that's antithetical to what happens in the public school system. So these are the things we're working on in my private homeschool community. Again, that's through classicallearner.com, homeschools connected, and um, everyone should give it a look. Awesome. Yeah. And tell us where they can find your books. Uh, you have your books on Amazon. Do you also sell through web, your own website or something? Yeah. So if you go to www.classicallearner.com, you'll see Cubs to Bears and I have all the books right there. Great. 
And they can find you on uh, Instagram and also TikTok at uh, what what are your handles there? Yeah, I am classical learner on everything. Okay, nice. And we'll we'll post those links in the show notes. Um, before we end, though, we wanted to to ask you a question about your personal creed. So we ask all of our guests to share a piece of their personal creed. A creed is a set of beliefs or principles uh, that that guides one actions. You talked about Benjamin Franklin. We talked about uh, George Washington. And I love that you do that in your program. Uh, can you share with us a piece of your personal creed? Follow God, fail forward, and that there is a lesson to be learned in everything. Love because that. a person only fails when they fail to learn from an experience. So um, my first entrepreneurial endeavor, I made shirts and I printed about 200 of them. And I sold one of them, which I found to be a grand success because I am forever optimistic. Um, but that was a learning experience. And now I run my own company and I'm very successful. I'm an Amazon number one bestseller. I publish seven books, right? And But that's only because I keep a good attitude and I, and I fail forward. Um, and when I say follow God and there's a lesson in everything, it's because everything that happens to us is part of God's plan. Everything that happens to us is God putting us on a path that gives our soul a chance to grow closer to him and to ascend. So, you know, when I pray to God, I say, you know, put me where, put, I don't ask him, oh, this is where I want to be. You know, I hope I'm in, I hope I'm in Hawaii in 10 years. No, I pray, put me where I'm supposed to be in 10 years. And whether that's in Hawaii or whether that's dead broke on a street corner, I know that that's the lesson that God needs me to learn. And if I keep that mindset that I will crawl myself out of any situation. Yeah. And you have 199 shirts to support you. (laughs) I got, I got 99 shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Love that man. That's, that was, that yeah. was excellent. I, I love, I love the simple creed, uh, but uh, our simple items you shared, but very powerful there. Uh, lots, lots of meaning in those things that you shared. So, thank you so much. Um, you know, we're basically at the end here, but uh, you know, to our listeners, uh, go check out Brett's stuff. He's he's got some great stuff. Go buy his books. Uh, there, I'm gonna go buy some of myself. Uh, they look awesome, and I can't wait to read them to my kids. And, uh, also check out your, check out your, uh, your homeschooling program as well. Just see uh, a little bit more about that. would love to do that. So, uh, for those out there, uh, let's go ahead and build that creed together. All right, let's do it. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brett. All right, guys. Thanks for having me.